Do you enjoy seeing well-presented visual content that people add into their social media? It could be catchy graphics or fabulous backgrounds, and you stop and think, oh, it looks ace that, I wish I could do something similar. I must admit, with my show, I'm very much more about the writing and broadcasting than the artwork. I find that quite daunting, it's just not my polished area at all. But, I realised it quite simply could be with Canva for Teams, with which you, or you and your team, can collaborate and design quite quickly and quite easily properly slick content, from standout social media posts and backgrounds, through to business presentations and documents that look the business and will get you the business. Since I've messed about with it, I realise just how much there is on Canva. I especially like the landscapes that it has for Facebook posts and the YouTube thumbnails, the templates for Instagram posts and stories, and so on. There's loads you'll enjoy messing with. With Canva and its many branches, Canva Presentations, which will take your presentations up to that next level, Canva Docs and Canva Whiteboards, providing you the space you and your team need to be able to brainstorm for your best results, or Canva Print, so all of these inspired designs that you've created can be brought to life on anything, from posters to mugs, all printed planet-friendly, you'll be discovering great stuff for hours on it. Plus, with features such as Magic Write, where if you're suffering writer's block, then you simply enter a prompt into and it generates a first draft for you, or Magic Eraser, so for any of those finer details that you want to change in your designs, then you can, easy as, you'll find Canva, its many premium fonts and graphics, or even free library of videos and pictures at your disposal, loaded with the templates and tools to make your creations ones to remember and to support perhaps even suggest, your creative process each step of the way. Design and collaborate with Canva for Teams. Right now, you can get a free 45-day extended trial when you go to canva.me slash truecrime. That's C-A-N-V-A dot M-E slash truecrime for a free 45-day extended trial. Canva.me slash truecrime. Hello all, and the warmest of welcomes to the True Crime Enthusiast podcast, coming to you each time around from North Wales' messiest spare room, looking round now, definitely messiest spare room, from where each time there comes a tale, or tales, of mostly unfamiliar true crime that may horrify you, or you may find unbelievable, and bear that in mind when you hear this tale, but that are all true, and that I've searched the length and breadth of the UK and Ireland to discover. Doing so is myself, Paul, the creator, host, and true crime enthusiast of the show's title. I am accompanied as ever by my true crime enthusiast cat, Peeksy, who is flat out in his bed at the moment. But most importantly, we are accompanied by yourselves, the enthusiasts that the show is for. Amazing as always having you with us, you kind lot, which I thank you for, and I hope that as you have, it's for a tale that finds you and yours all good, all safe, and all well. The tale this time around is this series Monsters of episode, and I do warn you, it is a horrific, sickening tale. In fact, as soon as I began researching it, to me, it couldn't have been anything but this series Monsters of. It's the very least, the politest, that you can call the individual involved. As a consequence of the horrific actions you're about to hear, in a self-explanatory ruling, the identity of those involved has been ordered to be withheld lifelong, 
so I shall refer to the majority of them as they were referred to during the investigation and result in criminal trial for the offences involved. The perpetrator, however, I've substituted to refer to as Mr X. He cannot be named either due to the legal necessity of protecting the lifelong anonymity of his victims. For our tale, we head down to the county of Carmarthenshire in southwest Wales and back to 2019, though the offences concerned span much further back, over at least a 20-year period, for one of the most disturbing tales that I've featured in the show's history. I bring a frank account consisting of as much as was reported and is in the public domain, not to sensationalise or cause distress, but rather because I wish to bring home the true horror of the tale, to convey just what a monster we are talking about here, but most importantly, to instil the maximum sympathy from the listener to those affected. The episode contains details and descriptions of crimes and events, referring to offences against children and with descriptions of a sexual nature that some listeners may find disturbing and or distressing, so please use discretion whilst you're listening in or. Bearing that in mind, please join the True Crime Enthusiast for an episode I've entitled Monsters of Carmarthenshire, Mr X. The case that came to trial at Swansea Crown Court on the 30th of September 2019 was described at its conclusion by presiding judge Mr Justice Paul Thomas Casey as in the top three worst cases I have had to deal with in my 40-year career as a barrister and judge. And stemmed from in December 2016, South Wales Children's Services becoming aware of and involved with an unnamed family who had moved to the Carmarthenshire area in August 2015, namely a female then teenage member of the family, who I shall refer to going forth as Adult B, the daughter of Adult A who was presenting with emotional difficulties in the home and was threatening to self-harm with a knife. As a result, police were contacted and a referral was made to children's services. However, in January 2017, an anonymous referral was made to the NSPCC claiming that Adult A was in an incestuous relationship with her father, who was named as Adult Y, though as I explained, I shall refer to going forth as Mr X, and that her children were a result of this relationship. A joint investigation by Children's Services and South Wales Police was launched after this anonymous referral, but despite extensive inquiries, no further action was taken. Adult A denied the allegations and refused to allow DNA tests to be carried out on her children. However, in March 2018, Another one of Mr X's daughters, who we shall refer to going forth as Adult D, made an allegation to police of historical sexual abuse against her father. It somewhat opened the floodgates this did, because off the strength of this allegation, both she and subsequently Adult A and Adult B disclosed that they too had been sexually abused on almost a daily basis since the early teens by Mr X. Now, how old each one was at the time is not revealed, but it is known that at the time, Adult B was in her teenage years, and most likely, adults A and D would be in their early 30s. 
due to the concerns that she may also have been a victim of abuse by Mr X. Later in 2018, local authorities made an application for care orders in respect of adult-aged children, due to evidence gathered from mobile phones. Again, as to whether this was in photographic or text form is unreported which highlighted that Adult A was indeed in a sexual relationship with her father, Mr X, and that he was also trying to get Adult B, his granddaughter, pregnant. As a result, on Monday the 18th of June 2018, both Adult A and Mr X were arrested by Dovid Powys Police, and Adult A's seven children were taken into foster care. DNA tests were subsequently done on each of adult age children, and horrifically, apart from the youngest child, Mr. X was found to be the biological father of six of her children. Her own father had fathered six surviving children with his daughter over a near 20-year period, and was accused of attempting to impregnate one of these two, another daughter of his, who happened as well to be his granddaughter. Horrific beyond belief, isn't it? There simply isn't any other words to describe it. Psychological assessments later undertaken on four of the six children at Specialist Children's Hospital, why only four of the six is unreported, which were completed in April 2019, found that the children had each suffered significant harm including post-traumatic stress disorder, exposure to emotional harm and neglect, selective mutism, signs of avoidance, low mood and separation anxiety, increased risk of sexual exploitation, poor sexual boundaries, confusing information regarding parentage, and symptomatology related to sexual abuse. Mr X, meanwhile, was allowed bail immediately following his arrest though he was later charged with some 35 counts of rape, one count of procuring rape and an account of assault by penetration, and was remanded in custody in May 2019, ahead of his trial at Swansea Crown Court, scheduled to take place that following September. How these figures were arrived at also is unreported, for almost daily sexual abuse on one of three women over a near 20-year period would have offences running into the thousands, wouldn't it? I know it isn't feasible to list so many charges against a person that would ultimately amount to the same sentence of life imprisonment. I just wondered how 37 was a figure that was arrived at, is all. Adult A was later released without facing any criminal charges. However, her children remained in foster care. It was also reported that another individual, again one unnamed, had admitted a count of rape in conjunction with the procuring rape charge Mr X was facing, a charge for which he was imprisoned the following year. When the case came to trial at court number one of Swansea Crown Court on the 30th of September 2019 then, prosecuting counsel John Hipkin Casey told the court that Mr X, who denied each of the charges he faced, had fathered at least six children with one of his daughters which DNA evidence had concluded was true and had effectively brainwashed and manipulated her and another two of his daughters, including using elements of mysticism and witchcraft, to gain control over them and to abuse them over the alleged prolonged campaign of rapes and sexual assaults. 
As part of his campaign, he was said to have created an alter ego of a fake psychic called Amelia Sanctuary, who was in regular contact with his victims by sending them instructions through emails from what they believed was a psychic mobile phone app, and who told them to do whatever their father wanted, however bizarre, disgusting or degrading, without question. Mr Hipkin told the jury, He did what he wanted to his three daughters, and achieved this by systematic control, grooming and brainwashing. The will was completely overwritten by him, and any apparent consent is not real consent, but mere acquiescence to the false world he created. A false world touched by witchcraft and mysticism. He would use a mystic to get them to do sexual acts with him by sending email messages to him. That control over them allowed him to gain sexual satisfaction. Mr Hipkins said the victims were groomed to have sex with him and other men, for Mr X had also arranged for a friend of his to rape one of the daughters, adult D, whilst he watched from the doorway, the court was told. And the case for the defence? Mr X completely denied the charges, saying that one daughter had simply made up the allegations to cause trouble and try and get compensation out of it, while the other two had blackmailed him into having sex with them. Yes, though he admitted to having sex with his daughter, Adult A, from when she was 14 years old, he claimed she later blackmailed him into continuing with a sexual relationship and claimed it was the other two girls who were blackmailing him also, and the sex between them was consensual, because he did not know they were his own children. Yes, I kid you not. This is the defence posed, which I shall explain later. Now, aside from adults A, B and D being cross-examined during the trial, from behind the privacy of a screen to protect their anonymity. The recorded police interviews were also played to the jury, and so I'll bring these in chronological order. In her police interview played to the court, Adel A, referred to as the first victim, told how she had moved to England to live with her father at age 12. Now incidentally, the marital status of Mr X at the time of trial is another thing that cannot definitively be established. At one point during his evidence, which I shall come on to later, he claimed to still love his wife, yet if adult A had gone to live with him in England at age 12, they must have been at the very least separated, though it isn't clear as to whether his daughters, adults A and D, had the same mother either. It's been a frustrating part of researching this case as so much is left to speculation, although of course you understand why it's largely redacted to protect the anonymity of them. Adult A claimed that Mr X had told her at age 12 or 13 that they weren't really related, and that he'd actually been in prison when she was conceived, though this was of course a lie. She said that he'd give her alcohol and cigarettes, and that his abuse of her started with touching, aged around 13 or 14, whilst they were cuddled up watching films late at night. She was soon having regular sexual intercourse with her father, because he told her he wanted to teach her to have sex so she would know what to do with future boyfriends. She said that it felt like what she assumed was dating to her, but she didn't know because she'd never dated anyone before. Age just 14, 
she'd soon fallen pregnant and had the child, claiming that her father had told her not to tell anyone about what had happened and said everything would be okay. Then the pair of them concocting a story about the father of the baby really being a boy from her school to ward off social services and police. At this point in the tape, adult A says, It was like we were a couple. He promised himself to me and said that we'd be a family. She added, I just thought he was my dad looking after me. There are no words, are there? No words whatsoever. Adult A continued that following the birth of her first child, as I said, aged just 14, her father had sex with her nearly every night until she fell pregnant again at the age of 16 and again had the child. Asked by the interviewing officer if the defendant was the father of this child also, she confirmed that he was. Adult A then said that the sex with her father continued on an almost daily basis and when she was in her early 20s, she had another child by her father, explaining, I was a mum, that is all I ever wanted to be. I had my children. After a couple of years, she gave birth to another child, and then shortly afterwards fell pregnant yet again with another, though she'd miscarried. In the space of the next two years, Adult A went on to have two more daughters, and referring to each child, as an interviewing officer asked, who was the father? She replies, my dad. In total, she had six children by him, which DNA testing later confirmed to be true. On the tape, Adult A explained that having sex with her father was something I've always known and done, with him telling her, we're soulmates, we've been together through so many lifetimes, we are meant to be together. She then went on to describe how at some point, a date is never specified, what she referred to as witch's rings were bought from eBay, with one for her and one for her father, and how he put her in touch with a psychic or mystic named Amelia Sanctuary, who began emailing her and telling her what to do. In her interview, Adult A described how Amelia Sanctuary would tell her almost daily via email about her future about how she would end up living in a big house and how she had special psychic powers of her own, but mainly telling her to perform sexual acts with her father and to try different sexual positions to please him, telling her that whenever the witch's ring she was wearing would burn, that was a sign she should perform a sex act on her father, although she was later to find out she had a nerve condition which caused burning and tingling feelings in her hands. Now these acts varied from the disgusting to the depraved. One example being that Amelia had told her to drink her father's urine, explaining that witches drink urine to have control of their man. The interviewing officer then asked her, Did you drink urine? To which adult A replies, Yes. Further to degrade in spectacles such as this, such was the control that Amelia had over adult A, that whenever she met someone, a possible romantic interest that she could possibly break out of this cycle of pure horror and misery to be with, Amelia would send her messages telling her not to get involved. She was saying things stopping me getting close to anyone else, which I didn't realise at the time, adult A said. 
She went on to describe how when her sister, adult D, had told her that she'd been raped by their father and by another man with their father present, she'd turned to Amelia the psychic for advice, where the mystic told her via email that the allegations her sister were making against their father were rubbish and were mere attention-seeking by her sibling, who was lying in order to cause trouble and make money. But, the prosecution claimed, Amelia Sanctuary didn't exist at all. The mystic that all this came from was in fact the defendant. The details of the email account that the Amelia messages had been sent from were found on his phone after his arrest. The mind boggles, doesn't it? In the interview, Adult A then talked about a photo discovered on her phone which showed her and her father's hand placed upon his bare chest and explained that it was taken in a caravan while the pair were together there engaged in astral travel, a purported out-of-body experience where the soul can leave the body and travel around independently. She said that her father told her he could perform astral travel, that he was very practiced at it and that he could see what everybody was doing. Now the abuse continued right up to Mr X's arrest in 2018, during which she claimed to have fallen pregnant a further twice by him, once miscarrying and having to be rushed to hospital for medical treatment. The second time though, unbelievably, was whilst he was on bail to an address away from the family home after his arrest. When asked by interviewing officers about what happened after her father was arrested and subsequently released on bail, she told them he'd remained in regular contact and would collect her and drive her to a West Wales beach where they would pitch a tent that he'd bought. When the officer asks, what happened in the tent? Adult A replied, the same as we did everywhere else. The officer then asks, sex? Adult A responds, yes. Though she became pregnant after one of these trysts, she told officers that her father had bought termination pills for her online, which she took, saying she was scared to seek medical treatment about the pregnancy and abortion in case she got into trouble. She said, I was too chicken to go to the clinic. Though sexual activity between the two had of course ceased when her father later had his bail revoked and was remanded into custody, he continued contact with her from his prison cell whilst on remand via letters and cards. Horrendous already this tale, isn't it? The court was then shown a video of a police interview conducted with another of Mr X's daughters, the first to allege historical sexual abuse, and who was referred to as Adult D, who explained how she and her sisters were living with their father as teenagers when he began talking to her older sister about boyfriends. The defendant would also ask her if she had had any sexual experience, Adult D told police, saying, He told me, I'll show you how it's done one day. That to me was very confusing at my age. I chose to ignore it. She continued that within a few weeks of those questions beginning, however, her father began touching her arm and her rear. She went on, Within another couple of months or so, he took me in the car to a recycling centre. We walked into a wooded area nearby, and that was where I was abused by him and basically forced into sex with him. 
Adult D explained that when she'd been guided to the secluded area, he'd grabbed her hand and forced her to touch his penis, telling her, it's not wrong. She said he told her, I'm going to teach you how to do it right. She said in interview that sexual intercourse then followed, and her father told her, you'll learn from this. She went on, it made me feel very dirty. We went back to the car and I would not talk to him. He told me my attitude had better change before I got home. I knew that was wrong and I thought it would never happen again, but I was wrong. It happened at least two to three times a week. The abuse took place when she was aged between 14 and 18, the court heard, with adult D saying, I can't put a figure on how many times it happened, but it was hundreds of times. He did it several times in a short space of time and would go a week or two without anything and then back the way it was. I had to deal with that in my mind. I knew it was coming, whether it was in my bed or in the car or on the beach, that he would have sex with me. It was continuous. I was scared to say anything. Adult D was then asked on the recorded interview about what would happen while she travelled in the car with her father and said, If we went out in the car at night time, just me and him, he would find somewhere secluded and make me do it in the back of the car. He was always very quick in his decision making and would say, We'll have a quickie there, let's do it there and go home. It happened in the car probably 20 to 30 times. She explained in the later stages the alleged abuse would take place either in the bedroom or in the car. The police interview with adult D then moved on to the sleeping arrangements at the family home, where she admitted that her father would come into her bed at night and have sex with her, explaining. He would come in on evenings more regular than he had previous to that, and he'd throw himself on top of me when I was asleep, causing me to wake up. He'd be there a couple of minutes and be gone again. In that time, he would have had his penetrative sex and gone again. I was made to feel disgusting and used. That's how it felt. I felt there was nothing I could do to stop it. Adult D explained she was even made to feel that it was her fault when he was unable to assault her, explaining how her father came into her bedroom on one occasion when she was menstruating, saying, I'd come on my period. I was wearing my underwear and wearing a Tampax. He told me, oh, wrong time of the month, and went out of the room straight away, as if it was my fault and I'd done something wrong. It's horrific that, isn't it? Isn't that awful? Adult D continued during her interview that her father was friends with a man who would work on cars and described how the man was a big flirt with her and her sister. She recalled that one day, her father took her round to the man's flat while she was in his school uniform, into his bedroom, and said he then told her to undress and lay on the bed. It was then that her father's friend came into the room and laid on top of her, crushing her, she described, before sexual intercourse then followed. She recalled, I was staring at my father thinking, why is he letting this happen? He was just watching him and didn't acknowledge my face at all. He was very quick, and then he jumped off. I thought, oh, okay. Without sounding positive, I thought, well, that was over quicker than I thought it would be. I was very angry with my father. 
She furthered that she believed her father had received money from the man to rape her. Talking about why she had now decided to come forward, she claimed the abuse had continued for four years until she left home, and she had initially been too scared to say anything because she feared losing contact with her siblings, she explained. A lot of what went on, I tried to block out of my mind. I knew it was wrong what he was doing, but I thought it was going to hurt the family. I didn't know if he's done this or whether he will continue to do this with other girls. I want girls to be aware if there is something going on, there is someone to talk to. There are girls in the family of that age now. I've got my worries and concerns. With the video concluded, Adult D was then cross-examined by both prosecution and defence counsels and entered the courtroom to provide evidence from behind a screen. Now, during a police interview, Adult D had discussed a relationship with her sister, Adult A, which she said was generally quite good. But she'd added, She's not allowed to talk to people. She's not allowed to do what she wants. He, referring to their father, he controls her. Mr. Hipkin asked, Did she have a life of her own? No. She then recounted the pattern of abuse, much the same as in her police statement, as you've heard. Mr. Hipkin then asked Adult D about her sister receiving messages from someone who she believed to be a psychic, with her replying, She lived a life based on messages from her. She cancelled holidays she booked because she was told there was an accident waiting for her. She was told a child would have a problem in five years' time, and something did happen which made her believe it was real. Asked whether she believed the psychic was real, she said, No. However, when Paul Hobson Casey, Mr X's defence counsel, cross-examined her, she told the court that she left the family home when she was aged 18, but visited the property on occasions with her boyfriend after that time. In response to a question from Mr Hobson, perhaps in an attempt to discredit her as a witness, specifically on a previous firm dismissal that she didn't believe in Amelia Sanctuary, Adult D confirmed that on one occasion she took a Ouija board there with her. Mr Hobson asked her, Was that something you were interested in? Adult D replied, Not particularly. Mr Hobson then took her back to the time before she moved out of the family home, saying, I'm going to suggest to you that your father did not have sex with you. Adult D replied, that's incorrect. I'm going to suggest to you he never took you to the beach, did he? He did. He never took you to secluded car parks, did he? He did. In response to questions from Mr Hobson, Adult D told the court that she was taken to the flat of a man and raped by him, with her father then taking her to school afterwards. Mr Hobson said, He never told you or ordered or arranged for you to have sex with that man. He never took you to the flat, did he? That is wrong. Did you ever say to your father, I want to have sex with you, and if he did not do what you want, you said he would end up in prison? No. Your father did not rape you, did he? He did. The court then heard that in a statement to the authorities, Adult D said that her sister had previously told her that the father of her six children was a sailor by the name of Rob. 
In response to a question from Mr Justice Thomas, she told the court that she had her suspicions that this was not true, and that the real father of the children was in fact her own father. Before she went to the police in 2018 to make her own allegations of historical rape against her father, in 2017 she'd even gone so far as to report the matter to Crime Stoppers because she had suspicions her father had been abusing one of her sister's daughters, a teenage girl, though in response to a question from Mr Hobson, she accepted that she did not report her now own allegations about her father's behaviour towards her to Crime Stoppers at the same time. As I explained at the start, partly because Adult A had refused to allow DNA tests to be conducted, the matter at the time didn't come to anything. Mr Hobson asked her, Is that something that frustrated you? Yes. What did you want to happen? I wanted him removed from the family home. When asked by Mr Hobson, Adult D confirmed that she was seeking financial compensation over the matter, though Mr Justice Thomas did clarify to members of the jury that, for context, they should know that this was not unusual in such cases. Re-examined briefly later on in the trial by prosecution barrister John Hipkin, he said to her, Now, we know what the defendant's case is, that you are in this for the money. What is being put is that these are false allegations and you are simply in it for the money. What do you say about that? Rubbish. It is being put to you that you blackmailed your father into having sex with you because you wanted sex with him. What do you say about that? Rubbish. Day four of Mr X's trial heard evidence from the daughter of one of his daughters, adult A. His granddaughter and daughter, as he was also a biological father, and who was referred to as adult B. In her video interview played to the jury, in events that by that time had become all too horrifically familiar, the woman described how the alleged rapes and sexual assaults started when she was aged around 12 or 13, and had continued, even after his arrest the previous year, until he had been remanded in custody ahead of trial. The court was told that the young woman was at the time pregnant, and was unsure as to whether the father of the child was Mr X or not. In her own words, she said her father had made me have sex with him more than a few times. He would tell me if I did as he said, that he would give me things. He's given me money, given me chocolate, bought me McDonald's, that sort of thing. She said that the abuse would happen in the house, in the defendant's car in a secluded lay-by, or in a caravan, and would usually happen a couple of times a week. She had told police interviewing her that not long after the abuse had started, she had one day refused his requests and clarified to the court. He tied me up and made me do it anyway. He tied me to the bed and put something in my mouth so I couldn't say anything. He then performed a degrading sexual act upon her and in her interview, she said that from that day on, she was too scared to say no to any of his demands. The court heard it was confirmed the previous year via a DNA test that the man who'd been raping the young woman was not only her father, but was her mother's father as well. But after learning of the results of this, and 
you cannot even begin to imagine the psychological trauma that learning something like that must bring, can you? She told the court that out of fear, she had continued to perform sexual acts with the defendant, with him threatening her not to tell anyone, warning her, nobody will believe you and you'll be thrown in the loony bin. Monstrous indeed, isn't it? The following day, Swansea Crown Court heard evidence via prison video link from a friend and former neighbour of the defendant, the self-described good friend of the father, who had admitted the rape of adult D several years previously when she was a schoolgirl and was then awaiting sentencing. He told the jury that he had said he was not interested in sex with her at all and that he kept telling his friend he was not interested, but the defendant had gone on and on and on about him having sex with one of his daughters until he finally gave in, though denying he had paid Mr X for the privilege. He said that on that occasion, the defendant had brought one of his daughters to the flat and they subsequently had sex in his bedroom. When asked by Mr Hipkin where the defendant was at the time, the man replied, He was basically stood leaning in my bedroom doorway, just watching. As the court had heard that the witness had already pleaded guilty to rape in regards to this incident and was awaiting sentence, Mr Justice Thomas clarified to the jury that purely because the witness had admitted the offence, that did not mean the defendant was guilty of what he was charged with in relation to the matter, namely procuring or arranging rape. What sentence he received for this crime went unreported, again, in order to protect the lifelong anonymity of adults A, B and D. But you have to hope it was a severe one, and prison time is hard for him, for he will still likely be a serving prisoner today. Well, you would hope anyway, wouldn't you? And then it came to the turn of Mr X himself to give evidence. During his trial, this individual had the goal to attempt to portray himself as the victim here, a victim of manipulative and sexually demanding girls and women, telling the jury that he'd been blackmailed into a long-term sexual relationship with one of his daughters who wanted to play mummy with him. He said he didn't think at the time that the children she subsequently had were his, and to repeat, she became pregnant nine times in total over the 20-year period he had controlled and sexually abused her, giving birth to six children that DNA evidence proved he was the father of, with two of the pregnancies ending in miscarriage and one ended by abortion tablets given to her by her father to conceal it. This is despite him admitting having regular unprotected sex with her, he didn't believe that any of the children were his, he claimed. He also claimed one of the daughters from this relationship then went on to also blackmail him into a sexual relationship and denied systematically raping another of his daughters during her teenage years, though admitted having sex with her once when she was an adult, but again, only because she'd blackmailed him into it. Mr X claimed he had no choice but to go along with their demands for fear they would reveal what was going on. Yes, you couldn't make it up, could you? 
Now, the cross-examination of X by counsel was, as you can imagine, lengthy, taking place over several days and flitting back and to between Mr. Hipkin, prosecuting, and Mr. Hobson, defending, who would refer to points raised and then refer back to an earlier point of evidence. This is how criminal trials go, isn't it? So, what I've done then is consolidated and compartmentalised each, and I'll bring cross-examination of prosecution and defence in turn. The following does contain disturbing and explicit testimony. The court began hearing details of Mr X's police interviews and cross-examining, Mr Hipkin asked him, Do you actually understand the difference between truth and lies? Yes. Do you understand the difference between normal and abnormal behaviour? I do. The barrister then asked the defendant if it was correct that he had had sex with the three alleged victims, to which Mr X replied, yes. Mr Hipkin continued, each of them, individually, wanted you sexually, did they? Yes. Each of them blackmailed you into having that sex? Yes. Mr X was then questioned about adult A, and told the court that she had first raped him when she was 14. However, he claimed he hadn't told the police because, in his own words, who are they going to believe, me or the girl? They're always going to believe the girl. Mr Hipkin replied, You knew she was your daughter, didn't you? No, but I accept everybody else knew she was my daughter. You knew she was your daughter? No. Mr X then told the court that Adult A was a witch and believed in astral travel. He furthered that he had told her via an email that her children were visiting him via astral travel because that is what she wanted to hear. Personally, Mr X claimed he didn't believe in astral travel. Mr Hipkin responded to this attempt to besmirch his victim. You are prepared to say anything about anyone to get yourself off the hook. No. You created a false world, a false psychic world, didn't you? You introduced her into this psychic world, witchcraft and drinking your urine. You controlled her life. No. You groomed and controlled her, all for your own sexual purposes. You tricked her by telling her she was not your daughter, when you knew she was. No. Mr Hipkin then told the jury that at no point in any of his police interviews did the defendant mention his claims of being blackmailed into sex. The barrister saying that the subject was first raised by the defendant only three weeks before his trial. He continued addressing X. Why didn't you tell the police you were being blackmailed? X replied, family comes first. Mr Hipkin then posed to him, You've tried to manufacture a defence before this jury recently, haven't you? No. You've made things up very recently, haven't you? This blackmail is utter nonsense, isn't it? No. The prosecution barrister now turned to the psychic Amelia Sanctuary, which, as I said, the prosecution claimed was a false mystic created by the defendant as part of his campaign of systematic control over his victims. Mr Hipkin proposed to X, whoever was controlling Amelia Sanctuary was controlling them, weren't they? 
X replied, Yes, I wouldn't argue with that. Mr. Hipkin then read to the court transcripts of some of the explicit emails sent from Amelia Sanctuary to the victims, in which she told them to perform various sexual acts with the defendant, which Mr. X accepted that whoever was behind the Amelia Sanctuary email account was telling the females to have sex with him. The court heard also that one of the emails praised the defendant's sexual performance, describing him as having the stamina of an 18-year-old man. Mr. Hipkin continued, Whoever was writing these emails was telling them to have sex with you, was expressing pity for you, was complimenting you on your sexual performance. It wasn't you by any chance, was it? No, it ain't. Amelia Sanctuary was you, wasn't it? No, she was not. That's rubbish. The court was then played a recording of a telephone conversation between the defendant and his wife after he'd been remanded into prison following his arrest, a conversation in which the defendant talked to his wife about messages he'd been receiving from Amelia Sanctuary and what she should do. Mr. Hipkin, why are you pretending to be Amelia to your wife? How do I know? It was a private conversation between me and my wife. Why? Because you are Amelia, that's why. No, I am not. Do you understand the difference between truth and lies? I am telling the truth. The court then heard that on June the 19th, 2018, the day after the defendant was arrested, his email account was accessed from the address that he'd been bailed to. And just eight minutes afterwards, there was also a login of the Amelia Sanctuary email account from the same address. The defendant told the court he was not at the address at the time, was not responsible for either login, and did not know was responsible for them. You can just smell the bullshit, can't you? Yet, it was a denial he stuck to, and after this claim, Mr. Hipkin replied, This is nonsense, complete and utter nonsense. Why don't you just admit that you were Amelia Sanctuary? Because I ain't. You are Amelia Sanctuary. Coincidence after coincidence after coincidence after coincidence, isn't it? It is a coincidence, yes, but I'm not her. When Mr. Hobson, for the defence, took over questioning and asked about Amelia Sanctuary, the defendant confirmed that he knew the mystic was in daily contact with his alleged victims because they'd told him about the emails they were receiving and said that specifically adult A believed everything the mystic told her. Mr. Hobson again asked him, Are you Amelia Sanctuary? No. Do you know who is? No. The defence barrister now returned to adult A and asked Mr. X if he accepted that for a number of years, he was having sex with her, to which the defendant replied he was, saying he was having sex with her from the time she was 14 until he was arrested and remanded in custody in May 2019. When asked how he first came to have sex with a teenager, X replied, I got drunk one night, and when I woke up, she said we had had sex. She said that I went with her. He then told the court that the teenager had produced an intimate Polaroid picture of the two of them, which he later burnt, 
but the teenager told him that she had others hidden. He said the teenager then used the threat of the pictures to basically control my life. X told the court the woman spent years blackmailing him with these photos, threatening to reveal what had been going on between them, saying, Everybody believed I was her father, even though I did not. He continued that from the age of 16, the alleged victim, who he described as being jealous, used to run the household and would not let him leave the house without a chaperone. When asked whether his wife knew what was going on, he said he didn't know and that she used to drink and go to bed early. Mr Hobson asked him, referring to adult A, who was in control of your sex life? She was. What did she want from you? She wanted a relationship. She wanted to play mummy. The barrister then asked if they ever used protection when they were having sex, to which the defendant replied that they did not. Raising the results of DNA tests which showed that the defendant was in fact the father of the woman he was accused of raping six children with, and therefore was also the father of the woman's teenage daughter, who he also stood accused of prolifically raping, and with whom he had even had enforced threesomes, asked by the barrister how the results of the test made him feel, he replied, Sick. Mr Hobson continued, Do you accept that over those years you fathered children by her? Yes, I did. When she was giving birth to those children, did you believe they were your children? No. When she was giving birth to those six children, did you think they were yours? No. Were there any discussions about who the father was? No. The barrister then asked the defendant who he thought was the father of the children, to which X replied that he had his own suspicions about who the father of them was, and proceeded to then name three men one of them being his own father. He then told the court that on one occasion, he had seen adult A having sex with his father, and on another, even with one of her own sons. He claimed that he'd said nothing about the incident involving his father out of fear of her, and when he tried to raise the incident involving a son with her, was told to mind my own business. He continued, she was always telling me I've got to know my place, otherwise there'd be trouble. I was terrified of what she could do to me. An example of this power that she held over him that he gave to the court was by explaining that he once had had three-way sex with adult A and one of his sons. When asked by Mr Hobson if he'd wanted to do it, X said no, but was told to do it, and complied out of fear. It was this fear of what she could do to him that led to the repeated sex between them, her blackmailing him to do it. And he denied when it was put to him that he was jealous of the relationship adult A was now having with a man who was the father of her youngest child, responding that conversely, he hoped she would take him so I could be free. The defence barrister now turned to another of the alleged victims, Adult D. Similar questions were posed to Mr X concerning her, as you've heard here, which he strenuously denied, 
He denied repeated rape over a number of years, denied that he ever took her out in his car and had sex with her, and denied having sex with her when she was a teenager, though he admitted having sex with her once when she was an adult, but again, only because she'd blackmailed him, and it was again out of fear. When asked by Mr Hobson why he thought she may have made up the allegations of rape against him, X responded that he didn't know, but suspected it may be solely because she was after financial compensation. Concerning adult B, X's daughter slash granddaughter, Mr Hobson asked the defendant if he accepted that he was her father, and he replied, Now I do. Mr X claimed to the court he was sick and upset to learn he was the father of the teenager, whom he had admitted having sex with, but again playing the blackmail card. Mr Hobson continued, After the DNA conversation with your daughter slash granddaughter, did you have sex with her again? Yes, as part of a threesome. Knowing who she was to you, why did you do that? because I had no choice. Did you groom Adult B into having sex with you? No, I did not. Did you groom and manipulate Adult B into having sex with you? No, I did not. Ahead of his summing up, presiding Mr Justice Thomas now asked several questions of the defendant himself before the court. Referring to adult A, the judge clarified that she went through nine pregnancies, six resulting in live births, two in miscarriages, and one being terminated. He asked X, All the way through that, you were having unprotected sex with her. Are you saying it never crossed your mind that you were the father? Given she was pregnant nine times while you were having regular unprotected sex with her, did it ever cross your mind? X replied, it might have done. The judge then asked the defendant if he believed that Amelia Sanctuary was a real psychic or somebody pretending to be one, and if he knew who Amelia was. To which X replied that he didn't know for sure if she was genuine or not, but suspected that she may be a member of the family. And when asked if he'd been receiving messages from Amelia whilst on remand in prison, X said that no. He'd not. And now, the killer question, which it seemed to me of being the judge's way, of course maintaining legality, of highlighting to the jury just what utter bollocks this beast was coming out with. But Mr Justice Thomas now asked that, if it was the defendant's case that if the three women had wanted sex with him, and he was effectively forced into complying with their demands, then why would they have to be told by Amelia Sanctuary to have sex with him? Why indeed, eh? All Mr X could reply was, I have no idea. Following his summing up, Mr Justice Thomas then addressed the jury, telling them that they brought three important qualifications to their deliberations. Life experience, their ability to form judgments about people and to decide whether they are being truthful or trying to pull the wool over your eyes, and the good old-fashioned virtue of common sense, telling them to put all emotion aside and decide the case with your heads and not your hearts. 
On Thursday the 10th of October 2019, the jury did just that. After 4 hours and 23 minutes deliberation, they returned to court number 1 and delivered unanimous verdicts of guilty against Mr X for every charge that he faced. He remained expressionless as the verdict was delivered and said nothing before being remanded in custody ahead of sentencing. Before he was led from the dock, Mr Justice Thomas told him, You will not be surprised to hear that a very long prison sentence awaits you. Then turning to address the jury, Judge Thomas said, I have been involved in criminal cases as a barrister and as a judge for 40 years. This is in the top three worst cases that I have ever had to deal with. I'm used to it, but for you to have to listen to this sort of evidence must have been a difficult experience. I can only thank you for your public duty. So horrific had the details been throughout the entire trial that the jurors were then each offered counselling and I'm pretty sure that horrific enough as what I've brought in the episode I barely scratched the surface with the entire tale there must have been so much more that has never been released so you can't even begin to imagine really can you the real stuff of nightmares Following the verdict a spokesperson for the Crown Prosecution Service Prosecutor Haley Fackerel said, These sickening acts of abuse were carried out by a person that was supposed to protect and care for the victims, but instead he systematically controlled their lives, grooming them for his sexual gratification. The officer who had led the inquiry, meanwhile, Detective Chief Inspector Paul Jones of Dovid Powis Police, said, this man has been convicted of the most serious sexual offences and it is very difficult to summarise the impact of his crimes upon his victims. I wish to thank the victims in this case for their courage in coming forward. Their bravery and composure throughout this difficult trial has led to the conviction of a very dangerous offender and I hope from today they can begin to move on and rebuild their lives. He added, I want anyone who has suffered abuse to know that if you find the courage to come forward, you will be taken seriously and police will work tirelessly to bring offenders to justice. On Friday the 18th of October 2019, Mr X was brought back before the same court, where Mr Justice Thomas told him, what you did to your family over a period of around 20 years plumbed the depths of depravity. Your behaviour was totally evil. You've left your victims, your daughters, with their lives in pieces. You raped them countless times, well into the hundreds. You took advantage of their extreme vulnerability caused by their age and circumstances and abused them cynically, mercilessly, evilly. The judge told X that he had consigned the daughter he had fathered children with to a life which amounted to a form of sexual slavery. He had then, at his time of reckoning, denied all the offences, and had even tried to paint himself as the victim of the piece, adding, In short, you are as cowardly as you are wicked. X showed no emotion and said nothing, 
as he was then sentenced to life imprisonment, made the subject of a 40-year extended sentence, comprising 33 years in prison and then a further 7 years on licence. He will have to serve a 22-year minimum term before he can apply for parole, but will then only be released if the authorities consider he is no longer a danger. Upon any possible release, he will also be a registered sex offender for the remainder of his life. A spokesperson for NSPCC Wales said, following the sentence, This was a horrific series of sustained sexual offences carried out by a vile and reprehensible individual. The severity of the sentence shows the danger this person poses and his victims must be praised for their bravery in speaking out. This case shows how survivors of abuse can come forward and see justice served no matter how much time has elapsed. In victim impact statements that were released by police after the case, two of the defendant's daughters, adults A and D, outlined how they'd been affected by the horrors they were forced to endure. The first victim, adult A, said, At the most impressionable age of my life, I went to live with my father. In the beginning, I loved him as a father. I continued to love him despite him tricking me, fooling me and abusing me. I knew no different. I believed it to be a normal upbringing. I missed on learning about life, friends, parties and work. I never learned what true love was or what a relationship should be. My life has been one big secret. It was not until May this year that I realised what a monster of a man he is. I look back at my life and feel like a fool to have believed everything he told me. She added that as a result of the truth coming out, the children had been taken off her, saying, My children were the only things I loved and was proud of. Because of him, I've lost them. The second daughter, Adult D, said, This man was supposed to be my father. It was his responsibility to raise and protect me, not abuse me. What I got was a man who used me for his own gratification, controlled what I did, where I went and who I saw. He took my teenage years away from me. This should have been a happy time in my life. He made me live in fear continuously whilst growing up. He made me feel so small in a big world. I've never had a true friend, never been allowed close to anybody. I was made to feel like a useless individual and that I would get nowhere in life. It was not until I met my husband in recent years that I've been able to feel like a normal human being and to make my own decisions in life. However, this still comes with some insecurities. I feel paranoid if my husband buys me gifts and find it difficult to accept compliments and gestures. I have gone on to have two beautiful children and this is what gave me the courage to come forward. I'm there to protect my children. I am hoping this will help me move on in my life and to give my children the upbringing that I never had. I've kept this secret for the past 14 years with him looking over my shoulder. Telling the truth about what happened has finally set me free from him, a monster of a man. The extended sentence means that Mr X will be eligible for recall to prison should he be released of course 
until he is a hundred years old. Bearing in mind that he is now believed to be 63 years of age, you would hope that prison is where he ends his days painfully, wouldn't you? Where on earth do you even begin to start with a tale such as this one? But you have to somewhere, and I'll start with, I'm sure that you can see why Mr. X is the subject of this series, Monsters of Tale. What else can you even refer to someone as who commits such an appalling catalogue of offences as this one? How on earth do those mentioned here, not just the three women specified in court, adults A, B and D, but considering their wider family also, their other siblings, relations, friends, how do you even begin to try to come to terms with something so abhorrent, so evil and unnatural? To try to even understand it, I found this a completely heartbreaking tale to have covered, one that angered me greatly also, and my heart went out to so many people involved with it. It goes without saying the three women, who were so brave, I mean so brave, to report such horrific abuse. And that sympathy is not measured in quantity for each, but my heart especially broke for adult A here, who certainly seems to have been the most affected and lost so much by the said abuse. It's foulness enough that a parent should even harbour thoughts of sexually abusing their child, but to act on it repeatedly, gratuitously, over a 20-year period, to then do this in tandem with another daughter, and to encourage others to do the same to her, perhaps even accepting money from them to do so, or to instil such control over a clearly vulnerable young woman, that they believe a psychic is telling them to commit such degrading and unnatural sexual acts with their father, that they undertake without question because it's what they consider a normal upbringing, and to impregnate your own daughter nine times, resulting in six children born out of incest, with all of the increased likelihood of medical problems this would bring, and to then begin raping one of these children in her teenage years, to treat the people you create, naturally and unnaturally, as sexual playthings for your own gratification. And then, when faced with what you've done, to concoct such a ludicrous, insulting story, and to deny or bareface lie and lie and lie throughout to avoid guilt, forcing the three through a trial. Monster, pure monster, is surely the politest word for this one although I can think of plenty of ones that I can't broadcast. Now, such an individual must die in prison, surely, surely. He was aged 60 upon sentencing, so would be in his 80s before any possible parole, and you hope that day never comes. Further, I hope that inside, his crimes are known and are as reviled as they should be and he gets a glimpse each day of the monster he is considered, and he spends every waking moment in the fear that his own bloodline felt from him. I hope prison time is especially hard for him. Parasitic scum. I know that the tale you've heard here has been a disturbing one to listen to. You should have tried researching and writing it. And an almost unbelievable one. Because things like this... They just shouldn't happen, should they? How does it happen so prolifically for so long, undetected? But, please take from it over any thoughts of the monster that is Mr. X. 
thoughts instead of the three brave women who finally found the strength to come forward and to stop such horror. Please place your sympathies with them and with the children that came from such an unnatural coupling, and I hope that you share after this my own hopes, that each individually can find the help they need to if not move onwards, then to at least try and begin to come to terms with such revelations. I fear it will be a very long road for each, but it is certainly one I hope they each make it down okay. What do you think? I would love as always hearing your thoughts and feedback on the episode Monsters of Carmarthenshire, Mr X, which you can do in the episode thread that's now up and running in the show's Facebook discussion group, or by getting in touch through any of the show's social media links. We can always chat wherever you wish, I'm not a hard man to track down. Contained within the episode show notes are also a list of contact details and organisations, so if you, or somebody you know or you suspect may be being abused, information can be found for someone to talk to who can help. There is always, always someone there to listen, I cannot stress that enough. With that then, it's on to the next tale, and one that I shall begin prepping now. All that remains for me to say is I thank you kindly for joining me in the peaks today, and that I've been, I still am, and hopefully still will be Paul, the true crime enthusiast. Wishing you good and safe times, and I shall speak to you very soon. Take care all, stay safe, and goodbye for now.